All right, listeners, welcome back to the part two of the podcast where we take a deeper dive on Scott Glasgow's background and understand a little bit more about Finmango and all the amazing things he's done with TEDx and how he's helping with microfinancing. Scott, welcome back for part two. Yeah, thank you so much. Glad to be here. Awesome. So let's hop in. You know, you have an amazing background, but I don't want to I don't want to present that. I would love to hear from you. You know, you've been an entrepreneur, you've been a leader for years. Can you tell us about your background and how you got to Finn Mango today? Yeah, that's an interesting story. I guess it's uh, I grew up in Ohio. I'm still technically based out of Ohio within the pandemic when I can't travel. <laughs> and but yeah, my story started when I was in high school. The Great Recession in 2008 really struck me. And uh, that's when I really built up this, you know, I don't know, this passion to really learn about why are markets acting like this? Why are people hurt so financially from stuff like this and stocks like this? Uh, I ended up going to college, undergrad, ended up majoring in biology and a bunch of sciences and things like that, which made no sense. I was really good at it. I was a good test taker. And then I, you know, I immediately did a 360 switch. I went to grad school and at grad school, I went to Kent State University and the first class I had in the master's program uh, my professor was just ranting of how financial and literacy, financial inclusion is like the crisis of our lifetime that nobody knows about. And we had a heated discussion and that kind of really led to the, the seeds of starting FinMango. And the name, the class was called Financial Management. The nickname was called FinMan. So that's the first part of the name. And the second part of the name came from the fact that whenever it comes to money, it's such a dark subject for so many people in the world. And I knew this growing up in my own household. And especially from the living through the 2008 financial crisis. So I want something bright, colorful, energetic to break into that darkness. And what's better than a mango? So Thin Man plus Mango, Thin Mango. I love it. I was having a good laugh on this side. And and the, using the financial management aspect of that in, in there, I, I, it's hilarious. I didn't notice that until now. That is so clever, Scott. I absolutely love that. You know, one of the hardest things about building a business is coming up with a cool name or like something that resonates with the values that you're trying to have. And then creating a logo that goes along with it. I think you hit the nail on the head and it's super memorable. I love it. It's fantastic. So let's talk about Femango, right? What are you guys doing? What is the problem you guys are solving? And, and where are you going with this whole thing? Yeah. So Finmango is a global nonprofit, and we're on a mission to solve the financial exclusion problem uh, with data, tech, and advocacy. So what is financial exclusion? Well, it's in, in the world of financial inclusion, 1.7 billion people lack access to financial services around the world. Approximately 5 billion people are considered financially illiterate. It's a huge crisis. So those are the people that we're targeting is the excluded. And the way that we're trying to solve it is through data, tech, and advocacy. And I'm more than happy to talk about those pillars. That's exactly where I wanted to go. Let's dive right into it. Let's start with whichever one you think is the most important and explain, you know, why do we need to know about these things and what impacts do these have on us? Yeah, so the first one, the first pillar that we focus on is data. And that's like the research arm of Finmango. And it's actually interesting, during the pandemic, we're actually currently, still right now, collaborating with Google on the COVID Open Data Project. And that collaboration is pretty cool because it's a way for Finmango, we're able to pivot and also work with a big brand, obviously, like Google. But we're able to pivot to, you know, to use our resources, our ability to have these amazing volunteers and people involved that speak so many different languages to help with a humanitarian cause that's greater than ourselves and greater than our organization. But at the same time, it also opens doors. So anyways, the data side of research that we're doing right now is we're collecting all this research in COVID cases around the world, places that nobody else can find this data. 
We have the best data in South Africa. We found all these countries in Latin America that we automated. We're now working an Africa data set. We're about to add another big collaborator. And but we're also extending that into finances and to economics. One idea that we're already working on and almost completed like a demo piece for right now is a financial heat map. Think of you know identifying areas that have financial literacy programs or areas that have access to financial services. We're trying to map that out at a very local, granular level. And that doesn't exist. All we have now is at the country side level of financial inclusion with data. And with our ability with this COVID project, we know how to get down much smaller. So we're doing a lot, we're also working on things where we're comparing healthcare with economics. We're doing a lot of really cool stuff on the research side, and we're gonna keep on expanding that. Because the data is what drives our other pillars, it also helps drive the entire movement of the financial inclusion world. So then the other pillar is advocacy. Advocacy is kind of like the heart of Finmango. We have a very powerful brand and we connect people and we try to uplift everybody. We come in with the mentality that this is a huge problem. And anything big, it, you can't do it yourself. So we can't be selfish. And there's too much, too many players being selfish in this field. You have to be unselfish. So the whole point of the campaign, the whole point of our advocacy campaign, and is to just uplift people. We tell their stories. We again go down to the granular level. We make people feel special because they are special. We make sure their stories get told. We make sure, you know, we, it's like some people can write books and we tell that. We interview them. We get them out in the financial inclusion world to uplift them. And at the same time, it builds the Finmango brand and builds, you know, who we represent, which is the field, the impact, the purpose. And then the last part is tech. This is what we can, this is our cool part. We can do whatever the heck we want with tech. But it also kind of combines our past, which are our in-person programs around the world, with our future which is obviously digital. And uh, so that's our three pillars. That's really, it's a data-driven organization. We use that data to propel our other pillars, but we also try to use that data to propel the field forward as fast as possible to end this crisis. I love that. And usually later down the road, I end up asking like, hey, where, where does the future of this industry go? But I think we're right there, right at the cusp of it. You know, where do you see all this stuff culminating together and, and producing what type of outcomes? Where, where, where do you see this going? I think the combination of digital, the combination of what we're going to be doing data at the granular level, and I think the combination of helping the world connect, I'm really hopeful that, you know, Finmango can actually shut down in 10 years. There will be no more purpose for us. The problem will be solved. And I really think it's, it's possible. I think it's going to happen. And it's just, we, we got to move faster. We got to stop dragging our feet. And it's, that's honestly the angle. That's honestly much different than probably most people would say, but my goal is to shut down Finmango because we have achieved our goal. Or, pass it on to a bigger, you know, to a bigger player that can accelerate that mission. Mm -hmm. uh, so like an exit plan would be maybe, you know, merge with the World Bank or merge, you know, or just, you know, just go into a bigger entity that can make that movement happen quicker. Mm -hmm. I love that. Supercharging your, your business with more power, I guess, for lack of better terms, be an all-encompassing word. Uh, I really love that. Could you talk a little bit more about what you guys are offering? So now we know these pillars. Now, what are you guys offering to individuals and who are you targeting specifically? You know, I, I saw you're talking about the heat map in Africa. Are you specifically targeting Africa? Could you break us into that a little bit? Yeah, we target youth around the world, ages 18 to 30 specifically. That's our target range. And it's honestly, the reason why it's our target, it's who we're built by. We're a youth organization built by youth for youth. We have, you know, our advocates are mostly in that age range. And, but we also want to honor everybody, obviously, but that's really our focus. Our programs are focused on that. So we have a lot of different programs. It's a lot of been testing and errors, and we've built very high quality programs at low scale, and now we're scaling them. 
but it includes, you know, what we do and we do a collaboration with, you know, big banks and stuff in Uganda. Those are small scale programs that we're scaling throughout all, you know, Uganda and possibly in other countries in East Africa. Mm-hmm. What we're doing in Togo is get relevant to rural communities in West Africa. We're doing it in India, we're partnering up with FinTech, so we're doing stuff with investing. In America, we actually have a program we don't even talk about hardly, but we do a program called uh, Invest, How to Become a Millionaire. And it's a really amazing program for high school students. We have all every high school in the Cleveland area has it. And it's also expanded to Portland, Oregon, and also in Colorado. So we, have, we do a lot of stuff, but the focus is in that age range, 18 to 30. And I definitely can tell you that in the future, post-pandemic, we're going to be probably way more on the data side and passing our programs that we've done in the past to other people. So our product's really going to be the data side, providing that data to foundations, to governments, so they can know what to do. Absolutely. I love what you're doing with that. And it's a very clever business move as well. So kudos to that. I love what you, you guys have moving in the background. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit more about what your day-to-day looks, looks like, right? You, being an entrepreneur is not an easy job. It's different for everybody. You know, from when you started the business, what were you focusing on and what are you focusing on doing now that you've kind of scaled your business up to, you know, it looks like a, a roughly around a 60 person company? Yeah. So I would say it's most of the fact that it's, I guess I'd say from the start, everything's been by accident. Everything's just about creating value. Never chased money, never chased anything, never got into this to make money. It's about creating value. And that's every single day, that's my purpose. Now, when you're working all around the world, it can get quite crazy. You might be doing pitches to very large organizations at 3 a.m., for example. And so you do have to kind of have like a cycle, and that's why I try to, you know, have my... But it really is a... It can be a really crazy experience you know, when you're starting something. And I know from the beginning, in my view, looking at the financial literacy, financial inclusion world, 90% of it is crap. You have people trying to rip off people. Stuff people don't trust it. People don't want to know about it because it's so dark of a feelings. I told you about the mango. Yeah. That so there was you know going into it, I knew we had to just kind of go kind of crazy. You know, try out as many things as we possibly can, and just put in that grind, put in that work, and see what would happen. And then find your niche. And what's cool about now, especially in the pandemic, we found our niche. And now we can exploit that niche to make a bigger impact in the field. But, my, but back to your root question, my days are crazy. They're always mixing up. I got calls that can have an 8 a.m., calls at 3 a.m. You just have to do it because it's the big organizations, big companies want to deal with you and partner with you. Mm-hmm. have to do it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Do you feel like you spend more time in operations now? Or do you feel like you, you spend more time working on deals and making sure the right people are in the room and the objectives that you guys have are being accomplished? Uh, even Or do you feel like you're spending more time just running the business in the sense of like, hey, guys, this is what we need to be doing, you know, X, Y, and Z, setting goals, setting next steps, follow-ups. Where, where do you typically find yourself doing more often? Um, I'm 100% in the hype mode now. Uh, that's my role. My role is to hype it up. My role is to manage. My role is to maintain relationships. I, I have other people that do all the work. I, by the way, everybody at Finn Mango is a mango. I'm Mango Scott, and I firmly believe I'm the stupidest of all the mangoes. Uh, the beautiful thing when you're creating value is that you naturally attract amazing talent, and I literally am. So why would I be working in operations or doing that anymore when I just suck at it? Sorry for my language. You can cross that off, I guess, but it's just true. I really do suck at a lot of things. I'm really good at hyping and motivating people and inspiring people and building relationships and maintaining those relationships. So that's my focus. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. 
And now my one question for you, and this is the last one, we'll, we'll move on from it. But, you know, there's a transition. And as somebody who, who's, you know, uh, uh, starting a, a business and, and has done this in the past, you know, in the beginning, you're the one who's doing everything, right? And, you know, then you become the dumb mango later on where everybody's smarter than you, which is exactly how you're supposed to do it. So kudos. Awesome job, Scott. But, you know, what did you do? What were you doing in the beginning? What did your day to day look like in the very beginning of everything? Um, it, was, it was a hot mess, I think, but that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about it. I honestly miss it. I miss the beauty of being a beginner. Again, I think it was actually like a Steve Jobs quote. I just can't. I'm pretty sure it is, but it's just like the, there's something beautiful about being a beginner again. Everything's new. You're like a kid. You can do whatever the heck you want. When you start maturing, and that's where Fandango's at now, it almost gets kind of boring in, in certain aspects. The value of it, the passion, it will never leave. Mm-hmm. But the, the exciting part of creating things and testing out things, not sure how it's going to happen, you lose that. I, know, I will admit, though, when you're in that mode, it's awful. Like when you're testing everything and you're trying to find niches, you're, you're completely lost. You hate it. It's awful. <laughs> but trust me, it's just like once you find that niche and you mature, you're going to miss it. <laughs> wow. I love that so much. And, th- and that's so true. You know, it, it's so easy to once you finally get it. I love to look at it this way. It's easy to get a job because the company has already decided what they're doing. It has built out the infrastructure. It's 10,000 times harder to go from, I think this is a Peter Thiel quote as well. You know, it's harder to go from zero to one than it is to go from one to 10. And and that zero to one mode, it is fires everywhere. If you ever seen, I, it's kind of crazy. It's a SpongeBob meme where it's just like in his head and there's just people with file cabinets and papers everywhere. And it was just super funny. And it, it's reminiscent of what it's like to start a business at first. You know, you're on all these different calls with people trying to understand, okay, what can we offer? How can we partner? Do we have a pitch deck? Is our offering, does this make sense? You know, do, am I even the right person to be leading this team? Who do I need? Do I have enough money? All these questions come up, but what am I missing? You know, so I, I love how you, you know, you've transferred from that older stage and now into the, this new one where you're really having great impact. So amazing work there. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about what it's like, you know, to be doing TED Talks. It's something that, that you know, I, I want to pivot away from Finn Mango. I feel like we got a great discussion around that, but you've done some TED Talks on, on a couple of different topics. Could you tell us a little bit about what you were talking about and, and why those were important? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was like, it was really cool because they all came from Finn Mango by accident. Um, the person that we first started off in Togo, by the way, the story of that in Togo, they found us by looking up financial management in the city called Mango. I forgot to mention that was our first international program by accident. Now, that same individual was really good at connecting like myself and he was just connecting with this one person and we were Facebook friends and he saw the work we we're doing. Next thing you know, I got an offer to do a TEDx talk down in Brazil. And I don't know, I think it was really cool because it was my first, like, I've done a lot of big events, but a TEDx event in a country that you don't even speak the language is like the biggest, you know what I mean? And then, so I went down there and the preparation for it was so key because, you know, you have to do it in a certain time, in like 18 minutes. It has to be like perfect. You also know this is going to be live streamed and it's going to be on YouTube forever. And a live stream, there was 800 people in the audience and there's, you know, a thousand people watching it live on Facebook live and stuff at the time. And it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's a, it's really cool. It's really cool. When, and I think I had a better experience with the first one because it was in a different country. And the second one was equally as good because it was in Togo and I got to share the stage with that individual that found us. And that was earlier this year before the pandemic. And again, it was 800 people. I got national television in Togo. 
And by the way, if no one knows, Togo is this tiny little country in West Africa. <laughs> but it was amazing experiences. And I think what I got from it is just, you know, how did I get these opportunities, which most people never will. I mean, get, getting even a TEDx talk or a TED talk would be even better, but any of those type of talks even in America is amazing. But how in the world did I get it in these two amazing places with these amazing people? And they tell my story. It's, I'm probably rambling quite a bit here, but it's really quite something amazing. And it really teaches you, I don't know, humbleness of, you know, how you never know where life's going to take you if you don't start. You have to start. And I love what you have to say about, like, just the whole experience. I think that's something that, I, honestly, I didn't expect it to hear from that question was, you know, this is what it feels like to be doing that. And that it's entire, incredibly humbling to do it outside of the U.S. It's like almost not as cool <laughs> to do it in the U.S. because it's like you can you understand that the impact that you're having on people internationally is far greater in this discussion. Now, talking about what did you speak about? You know, what were you focusing on? Can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, 100%. So what I was focused on was on the first one in Brazil, it was strictly about enhancing human potential. Uh, something that I learned in this world of work is that poverty, in my opinion, is a giant puzzle. And it takes a lot of pieces to solve that puzzle, a lot of pieces. And they have to all come together to make it work. And what I've also learned is that you know, financial literacy, financial inclusion are kind of like the gatekeepers for solving that puzzle. So the talk is a lot about creating opportunities and how the smallest little opportunity can make all the difference. And even like in Mango, I'm just looking at how did I get that TEDx talk? It was just, just, it was really luck. This person found us by looking at financial management in a city called Mango. He connected people all around the world but never met him. He met this person named Ernesto. Shout out Ernesto. And Ernesto was just following me. And he saw the work and saw the impact. And then, you know, it's like that opportunity was created because someone found us by luck. Mm-hmm. And think about life, think about startups, think about how much talent is just completely wasted because they never get that little bit of opportunity. So the whole talk was about the power of opportunity. If you're given that opportunity and you succeed and become successful, make a ton of money and do all this other stuff, you have an obligation to give back and to create those little opportunities for others mm-hmm. because it make the whole world of a difference. Do you feel like you have any unique knowledge now that you did that talk? And I'm assuming many people came around you and had this discussion of like what types of opportunity outside of just financial, or perhaps it might even be better to frame the question is, you know, what have you learned about opportunity that is so crucial to, to people abroad and internationally? It's almost everything. You can be the smartest person. You can have, you can be the best. Here's a good example of this. It's a friend of mine named Johanna Omoro. So shout out to him. He's a professional football or soccer player in Europe. He was from this from this slum in, in Nairobi. And my other friend is a fintech startup person that's from there as well. They literally grew up on a dump site of trash. And he was given a very slim opportunity to go to Europe or something like that. Something happened. He got a little opportunity. He got out, became a professional football player. Mm -hmm. He keeps on talking about how other people in that community were way better football players than him, but they didn't get that opportunity. And he goes back and they're just, you know, it's like wasted lives. You know, it's just like, and it's so sad. And that's why he started the foundation. He works in that community and he's giving back to make a difference. It's really hard to like, to really, tell you how big a thing it is, but I think it's also big for the startup world. You know, if you, so much about his luck and just getting that right opportunity, somebody investing in you, somebody giving you that opportunity, you know, it's, it makes all the difference. There's a lot of people that are capable. They just don't get the opportunity. 
right person, right time, right idea, right coffee talk, you know, so many different things. I love to say that we live in a one second, one inch world. And what that means is, you know, we're one inch away from something going incredibly wrong or incredibly well. We're, you know, that could be the difference between bumping into somebody that, you know, shoulder shrug where it's like, oh, hey, sorry about that. Or even that one second where you weren't in, you know, you didn't run into that person or, you know, somebody uh, left the meeting early because you were running a few minutes late. And that one second could have been the difference between a, an amazing thing that you guys end up creating. So I, I really do value your perspective on, on opportunity. Now, talking about opportunity, you know, you are doing a really uh, amazing piece with microfinancing over at Santa Clara University. Can you tell us a little bit more about that student-run Silicon Valley-backed zero-interest uh, organization? Yeah, 100%. So it's called Zim, uh, Zero Interest Microfinance, zimbeg.org. And it's a tremendous organization. I actually got connected with them because I've always been a big fan of low interest or even zero interest uh, microfinance loans if it's possible. And uh, they happen to be the only organization that I really know doing it. And the founder, Long Lee, is just absolutely amazing, a professor at Santa Clara. And they do absolutely phenomenal work. They work all around the world at giving out loaded zero interest of microfinance loans. And they brought me on to kind of help accelerate in the marketing and branding side. I'm a hype person. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, but it, it really is a humbling experience because it, it's, it really is a great way to kind of expand impact because access to capital is that's so important for people. That's it's talking about opportunity that creates opportunity and making sure it's affordable and useful financial products is still so key. So zero interest microfinance loans or low interest is a really key thing in empowering lives and creating that opportunity. People that get a loan at 50, 60% interest, yeah, they might be able to pay back that loan, but are they empowering their lives? Mm -hmm. The answer is most likely not. If they're getting burned to pieces by compounding interest with insane interest. <laughs> Now, who are some of the people that you're targeting for, for you know, this zero interest opportunity? Our target is 100% uh, low income in the developing world. So we work in Kenya, we work in uh, Southeast Asia, we work in Latin America. Uh, we try to target areas that make $2 or less per day. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's our target. We are exploring, we are getting more funding. So uh, the beautiful thing about being in Silicon Valley, obviously, you get a lot of startups that can support you. And uh, we are looking at potentially doing some pilot runs in America and like San Francisco possibly, mm -hmm. uh, but that's yet to be too German. Wow. Absolutely fantastic. You know, Scott, I think we're rounding out right around the end of this conversation. And, and the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, you're a human. And, and I know, actually, I take that back. I want to talk to you about two final things. And I think it would be a shame if we didn't talk about it. The first one being you've traveled around the world. What has that done for your perspective, your mindset, the way that you view things, you know, from Africa to all these amazing places, South Africa, South America, and so much more, you know, what have you picked up from that? Because really the reason I'm asking that question is that so many people have these kind of uh, set in stone mindsets of what it's like out there in the world and all these places are dangerous or people believe or act a certain way. And then when you get there, it, you know, you kind of erode or abolish those old mindsets, you know. What have you picked up from traveling abroad and, and what could people potentially learn? Yeah, so I think 100% first off, the world is not as dangerous as you think. It's uh, built by people just like you and myself. Everybody's the same. And 
a kid in Togo in a rural village with nothing exactly the same as a kid in a rich suburb in, in, you know, in San Francisco Bay Area. It is one of the most powerful things to just travel around the world and just experience that. I think too many people get caught up in their own culture and get caught up in what's around them and they don't really open up their eyes. And the fact is the world's a beautiful place. People are beautiful. And you just have to realize that. And really, and also just understand that, you know, where you're from, you might have a lot of privilege. And I think it's your responsibility to give back. And that's not just, I don't really believe in charity and just giving money. I think giving your time and creating opportunities and making things happen for others that don't have as many opportunities. You'd be amazed what can happen. Somebody that's dying for an opportunity, they come in and just kill it. I love that. And and one of the final things, and we're taking a little bit of an avant-garde style for this podcast, is you know, you're the hype man for Finn Mango. What gets you excited? What livens you up? What makes you tick? It's the impact. I, I mean, I, I be honest. And, and, and by the way, I didn't really talk about this. Is it's kind of like a secret thing, I guess. But the work that we do around the world and for people that we reach is unbelievable, and it fires me up. What even fires me up even more. Is equally as important is internally. We have a secret mission, which I guess is not going to be secret now as I'm bringing it up on here. <laughs> but it's like if anybody we listening, can to it, them, we can cut it out if we need to. Maybe yeah, we'll uh, maybe we'll be nice and let the listeners hear it this time. <laughs> reward for people that watch the podcast to the very end, I guess. But I love it, golden our, nuggets. <laughs> so our secret mission is, you know, to give everything we can back to the mango that are involved internally. We create such a culture, such an atmosphere for people that are involved. It just creates value, value, value. We give people mentorship from Google, mentorship from very large companies, mentorship from business titans. We've had the executive, the, the executive chairman of Beyond Meat and the co-founder of Honest Tea talk to the team and actually build up connections. We had the lawyer of the year. We've had all these amazing people. We had the founding president of Product Red and people like that that give, give, give. And that's all part of that culture of giving. If you get involved, even if you're a volunteer, it doesn't matter where you're at in motivation, we're going to give you everything we can. And what that does is it really empowers them and sets them up. It gives them a foundation. We can't build your house. Nobody can build your house. You have to do that yourself. But our goal is to give you a really strong foundation and be there for them. And so the, internally, the story of Finn Mango is just as special as, what, as the work we're doing. It's really special. I love that. Scott, thank you so much for coming on today's podcast. And being so humble, so honest, so so genuine and talking about not only the great success that Finn Mango has had and will continue to have, as well as talking about TEDx and, and how, you know, your conversation around opportunity and talking about, you know, the amazing impact that you guys have going on over at Zimorg and, and all those amazing things. Really appreciate it. If people want to reach out to you or learn more about what you're doing, where can they reach out and what else do you have going on? Yeah, you can reach out to me on obviously by email first is scott at finmango.org, pretty simple. Uh, you can also reach me on any social media network by you know typing in my name or easier Mango Scott. I'm at Mango Scott on Instagram, Twitter, everything. <laughs> I'm just a mango. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And anything you'd love to share with with any of the listeners, any opportunities you're seeking, anything that you have coming up, I want to give the the floor to you for a second. Yeah, so I mean, we definitely have some, we're opening up some internship opportunities for the spring. Anyone that's in college would be interested in that. And uh, I guess on the, and make sure you're watching us, we're moving very quickly. And uh, a lot of exciting things are happening. The story at Thin Mango 
ironically, even though we've been at it for a few years, is just starting right now, it feels like. And I guess the one last comment I'll have is when you're starting something, when you're starting a business, document everything. Take pictures, take videos, write down, you know, take, do everything because documenting your story is going to be very important in telling your story in the future. And that's going to help you get funding. It's going to help you, you know, get friends. It's going to help you get those allies that you're going to need. Scott, thank you so, so, so much for coming on today's podcast. I really appreciate everything that you've been doing. Listeners, I hope you took one piece of advice. If, if you learned anything, a new idea, how something works about the world, or, or even just love all the cool mango things that Scott's got going on on his side, I count that as a success. Please make sure to check us out, follow us on all of our socials, and, and keep your eyes out for what they have going on with Pin Mango. Check out those internship opportunities and tune in for our next show. Have a good one, listeners. Bye-bye.